When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It all began one month ago when the ordinarily mild-mannered All Blacks coach Steve Hansen launched a vicious verbal broadside at the Lions by suggesting they would face, and I quote, massive expectation to do well. <laughs> End quote. In New Zealand. The tone was set, the line of the sand was drawn, Murph. And now in the build of the first test, you're seeing the inevitable result of such incendiary comments as Hansen and Warren Gatlin become embroiled in a full-scale... War of Worlds. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Hello, Shit. welcome to... My Scottish accent, my James McCarthy is just so much worse than Ken. Monday's Second Captain's Podcast. Ken is actually away this week, hence we're relying on Murph to do a Scottish accent. Apologies to one and all for that one. Hi, there, Simon. Scottish nation. How's it going? Why is it in football it's known as mind games, but in rugby it's a war of words? It's something that we might never ask, uh, find out the answer to, or indeed ask the question mm. of again. But it's always a verbal broadside, yeah. no matter what oh, the, yeah. the code and even by the standards of these inane tit-for-tats between managers or coaches in whatever sport, this one is particularly lame. <laughs> particularly lame. Now, the obvious weakness that up until quite recently it's just been one-sided, mostly. Mm. I mean, Hansen defended himself, I should say Gatlin defended himself about the Warren ball. Well, he said he shouldn't have to defend himself about uh, playing this Warren ball, but it's really just Hansen laughing at how limited the Lions' game plan is up until recently. He's coming in Friday, is pretty typical. Do I expect him to do something different tomorrow night? Well, he keeps telling us he's got something up his sleeve other than his arm. So we'll wait and see, won't we? That was a fairly typical Hansen barb at Gatland. Emboldened by the big win over the Maori, the Lions coach finally came out swinging. I'm surprised by Steve Hansen, who's normally pretty calm. He's been doing a lot of press conferences, and I can only take that as a sign of respect in that he's a little bit worried. So wow. that's, how, that's wow. how vicious it's gotten, yeah. And this is all before the watershed, so apologies, <laughs> listeners. Uh, if any of you are of a milder constitution, I hope you're not too rocked by those incendiary remarks. Shane Horgan on the show today to talk Gatlin versus Hansen, the weekend's win against the New Zealand Maori, and the call-ups of the Welsh and Scottish bodies, whoever they are, to fill the bench against the Chiefs tomorrow. Flesh in Lions jerseys. Yeah, Wales Online, <laughs> uh, Simon sent me on a Wales Online report that all six lads are settling in just fine. Kieran, I know you'll be pleased to know. As late arrivals, they've had to go through an initiation process, rolling the dice to decide on a forfeit. According to James Haskell, this has resulted in one of the Welsh four having to wear a suit for three days. Okay. While the others have had to do a two-minute performance in front of the rest of the squad. I Come on, there's a limit with these things. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's just... A suit is a little bit... It's cruel and unusual punishment. There was a nice in training detail. and everything, or... Did the, did he, did he, is he allowed to put his boots on with the suit? The tone of the article was basically James Haskell saying, you know, these lads have mucked in straight away. There's none of this nonsense shaking hands with each other and saying, hi, I'm James Haskell. you just got to get stuck into the spirit yeah. of these things. James Haskell just walking around uh, just with his scissors, cutting their ties. Yeah. The whole time, setting their uh, shoes on fire. God, what a laugh. <laughs> what he, a laugh. But he did say, uh, there was a nice little detail. I sat down at the computer the other day, and Corey was asking about lineouts. I don't know why he thought I was the man to ask about lineouts, but I shared the knowledge that I have. This is what a team is about. <laughs> you can kind of imagine Hassel going, no, 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 it's Omani, or Peter Omani you're looking for. It's like, yeah. is that the big, the big guy, big barrel chip? No, that's Sean O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. You want to be finding Omani or one of those hmm. guys, Alan Wynne-Jones maybe. Yeah, I'm starting to think on that maybe there's just too many press conferences No such going thing on. on a Lions tour, Murph. Hmm. There's I'm too much detail behind. Haven't you seen Living with the Lions? There's yeah, too much yeah. stuff going on behind the scenes to limit it to just watching matches on TV. You've got to hear what these men think yeah. and feel about each other. 
Yeah, I, th- I think probably maybe one or two a week is probably plenty, <laughs> given the amount of horseshit that's being talked <laughs> over the last week or so. Maybe there's a bit of that. Hmm. Ken's on his holidays, so we're going to give the football podcast a break today. This is your only Monday podcast this week, but don't worry, you will be getting your football fix in the middle of the week. That's assuming, of course, that you're a World Service member. We've had some big football names already on the players' chair. Sean Dyche, Brian Kerr, that brilliant interview with Niall Quinn a while back this week. Richie is... How are you, lads? That's oh. the guy there. Hello again, Richie is sitting down with a man who's probably been Ireland's most interesting footballer for four or five years now, and certainly our best footballer in the last 12 months, I would say. He's heading to Derry to talk to James McLean. And you're nodding along in furious agreement, Murph. Since Keno, is he our most interesting footballer? Could be. He always is... Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm you know, sure something to of say. Someone else in a uh, interview context. It's more. I've never heard so much rubbish in my life. Well, that's the straight talking. You get that same sort of straight talking from McLean. I suppose that's where the comparison is. I have a feeling this is going to be really, really good. If you're not a World Service member yet, not only will you miss out on the players' chair with James McLean and all previous episodes, unless you become a second captain tier, but you've also missed out on tickets to our live show that's happening next weekend. They've already gone to a number of our members. These were tickets. Uh, to a very special second captain's, well, on a very special second captain's boat from Bantry Bay. Yeah, I'm giving too much detail here. Got uh, This is a big deal. Let's try and do this intro bed live. Here, I'll just grab my banjo and play okay, a bit of live music. Actually, here. I have mine here as well. Okay, you know, we, 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 we'll playing away here. God, it's Disney. mad. You know, when you, when you haven't played for a while, it takes ages. you a little while. Oh, lovely, Murph. Well done. I'll, I'll, I'll go now. Just, I'll jewel. This is a jewel. There we Yeah? Sorry, just my finger exercises now. Yeah, there we go. Actually, you know what? It's, it's like riding a bike. You know, once you start, it's actually quite easy to just get I'll stop you there. Let the banjo speak for a second. Oh, still got it. Oh, good stuff, Mark. Well done. Okay, and me. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to go a bit faster? Oh, this is good, actually. Okay. Let's really ramp it up. Simon, give me some accompaniment here. I need some other sound effects. This tiny island off Bantry Bay, pretty island. I mean, this place is barren. My uncles are all huge men, hardy men down there, and I think that's where I got my size from. It's three miles wide by one mile uh, long. I mean, there's only about 20 people live on this island. One of my uncles is the ferryman, ferrying out to the island. Oh, I'd say you'll be more than a match for Gay Burden or Terry Wogan or any of them. And to get you there, he has you in the trap. I'm the most wanted man on my island. If you want to rent a bike, <laughs> he has the bikes in the island. The English are gone, boy. That's a nasty sky you've got there, Tom. Gone! Because I drove him out. He owns the pub on the island. It was, uh, in the net. No outsider. Yeah, ignorant prick. I paid it for my field. If you ever think of going down there, he's a good contact <laughs> to have. But... And you. That was fun, wasn't it? Lay down that banjo. Man. Yeah. I wonder why the bull McCabe appeared in there. It doesn't really... I mean, that was Kerry. It was filmed and go. There's really no connection. Uh, listen, I'm probably overanalyzing it, but that was a lot of fun, On You still got some game on that. Still got job. it there. Yes, we're going to beautiful Witty Island to watch the first test at Lions Tour in the company of Ty Furlong's uncles, after which we're recording the podcast from Ty's uncle's pub. They're fine big men. A bunch of second captain ears down there as well. They certainly are, yeah. They're fine big men. With Tim us. O'Leary and all the rest of the lads down there. We're very much looking forward very to it. Very much looking forward to it. Shane Horgan, Richie, among others, will be there. It's going to be a hell of a day. Mm. And yes, I think we will bring our banjos along, Murph. Now that well, why so not? Long. I mean, it's, you know what? I thought I'd lost it, Owen, but there it was. All that time, just we just waiting for me to get back back in the saddle. In future, if you want to get to these types of shows, and if you want to hear Richie's brilliant players' chair series, you can sign up to the World Service now on secondcaptains.com for five euro a month plus VAT. Oshie McConville and Mike Quirk are good to go. Hi, Oshie. On his phone. Not bad at all. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Now today's uh, this week's pundit talking up a team and then having to eat humble pie. Is it's not me this not week. Not you this week. Mike's okay all season so far. <laughs> Donegal, Oshin. Weren't you here a couple of weeks ago talking up Donegal as though they were... <laughs> we, were going, we were talking 2012, 2013 all over again. Yeah. What that didn't work out great, not, did it? Well, not so far. There's always the qualifiers. Yeah. They, they can't, <laughs> can't get any worse for them. Um, just, they were just poor yesterday. Really poor. And uh, Tyrone looked, looked very, very good. And... One thing I've kept saying about Tyrone is that they're, they lack a, a marquee forward, but you don't need them if you're getting 11 and 12 scores from all over the field. Uh, boy's coming off the bench, and he was able to hold a little bit back yesterday as well, Mickey Hart. Uh, from a, uh, on to Donegal, they look pretty much shambles yesterday. Mm. Um, I had a bit of a set two with Martin McHugh on, on, on BBC yesterday because he said that they need to go back to play uh, really defensive football. I I didn't see yesterday what had changed. I just think that 
they didn't carry out what they normally carry out. I think the biggest thing um, from a Donegal point of view is that when they go forward, the, the team, the team of old, uh, and the way they play, because not I don't see anything has changed. Still getting a lot of bodies behind the ball. The biggest thing is if you lose the ball, if Donegal lose the ball in that transition or in that middle third, and they get turned over, they just don't have the the pace to get back in in front of uh, Paddy McGrath and Neil McGee and Paddy McGrath and Neil McGee even against Antrim for the first 20 minutes look really exposed um, so nothing really has changed I don't think as far as the way Donegal play obviously the personnel has changed um, Surely the, per- the personnel changing should be a benefit. They've got all these young lads coming in, these people making their championship debuts this season. So I would have thought the energy you're talking about there, which just just by dint of uh, of the freshness, should actually be there. Yeah, and that's what I liked about them. Uh, and you know, their their improvement was in small increments all the time, and looked as if it was it, that was still going to be the case. Um, but they turned over the ball yesterday. Use the example of. Uh, Kieran Thompson in the middle of the field, getting the ball turned over, went down, Peter Hart kicked the point. But all it was, he had three, four men around him that could just pop the ball to, and he chose not. He chose to take the ball in the tackle. Mm. And when he took it in the tackle, he was stripped, you know, straight away. That's something which is a little bit on Donegal-like. Uh, the, thing, the strange thing is yesterday about Donegal is that the one worry I sort of had going into the game was that, you know, the likes of... Uh, McBrady maybe wasn't firing all cylinders didn't start the last day got a 15 uh, 20 minute cameo did well he started, started the game really really well yesterday Donegal started the game really well they looked as if um, you know defensively you know they had shored a few things up and then they just started coughing up goal chance after goal chance I mean you know Sean Cavanagh you know, should have popped the ball outside that ball goes into the net and you know Mark Anthony McGinley was one of Donegal's better players yesterday. You know, he's got a string of, of good saves. So, could we, like, to be honest, the, the scoreline yesterday uh, really does flatter Donegal, you know, when you consider just how uh, how dominant Drum were. Uh, Mike, people were kind of retrospect- retrospectively saying after the game yesterday that, oh, listen, you know, it's young players, they did it in the league, but the championship is a totally different animal. I mean, I'm not entirely sure I subscribe to that. I mean, you know, you kind of have to believe what you see with your eyes and say that Division One football is really, really intense. And it is actually, if someone is doing it and a group of young players like Donny Golds were doing it in Division One, then that means that they, they should have been ready or they are ready for championship football. And so yesterday was not so much the young players aren't good enough. It's more that they probably are good enough. They just weren't very good yesterday. And, and like now, Murph, you you got to be careful that you you do know that retrospect is is a pundit's greatest friend after <laughs> you make a pear shaped prediction. But like, obviously, you know it's easy to look back now and kind of go, you know, what we really liked about Donegal all year, it just didn't come to the fore yesterday. And and sometimes these things just go pear shaped for young fellas. And and yesterday, although they got a good start and 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 things were looking rosy, as soon as things started to go wrong, and and that becomes the big big test of, of young people when when these games start to go against you and and the leadership and where where we are you know how can we turn this around and back in our favor and when that all started to go against them you could just see the energy just seem to drain out of them like yesterday you'd say if you were looking if you're looking at one of these games yesterday you're kind of going okay Donegal aren't fit Tyrone are, are fit and and that looked the main difference but of course Donegal are fit but it, these things psychologically when when a game starts to get away from you like that the energy just gets sapped out of your body and you look like you're running in mud and you can't keep up with these guys. I mean, like Sean Cavanaugh looked like a guy who was 22, 23 years of age at times. Even though he didn't have a great game, he still looked energy-wise like he was getting around the field. Same with Colin Cavanaugh. Guys who have far more miles on the clock look to have much more energy yesterday, which is all because of the game, the way it turned out. And, you know, look, you, you don't know how, how a first big game on TV in front of the real big crowds, you know, an Ulster Championship clash against Tyrone, a team that you were probably supposed to win because of the way people were talking about you. You don't know how that affects young guys' heads. And, you know, all, all you can say is they'll probably learn from it and, and, and get better and move on. They haven't turned into bad players overnight or anything like that. It's just it's just things went pear-shaped and they weren't able to turn it back against them. Mike, you've, uh, 
obviously with, with your basketball background would be well familiar with what teams should be trying to do in terms of transition and it's something that Donegal didn't get right and the Tyrone very much did at the weekend it seems quite obvious really it's this phrase is thrown in there the odd time as though it's some sort of revolutionary phrase it seems quite obvious that you need to have the capability to defend uh, as a pack as, as best as possible and break forward at speed but not many teams at the moment seem to necessarily have that have Tyrone got enough in their ability to, to kind of break a pace to cover up for the fact that as Oshin says they probably don't have the well they definitely don't have the marquee forwards that one or two other counties do yeah, I mean, I like I like they scored one twenty one yesterday, one nineteen from play, which is like if Kerry or Dublin did that, did you know that we'd be writing poems about them? You know, we'd be we'd be getting so excited. I mean, eight points or one five came from the Tyrone backs, and thirteen points came from their forwards. So you you know it's not it's it's like six, sixty forty is their is their scoring spread kind of from 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 back to front or from front to back should I say and 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 they need they need you know those those defenders they need Tierney McCann and they need all the rest of them to come up and and, and contribute on the scoreboard because like like Oshin says they don't have the maybe a James O'Donoghue or a, or or whoever that's going to put up a big score Bernard Brogan these guys so like for for the big thing with Tyrone yesterday and 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 transition is all about your ability to 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 run and to be able to move they, their transition was so good yesterday because they looked like the team that were far more athletic and far more aggressive in the tackle and and the big the big change in that game yesterday which was which was something I was delighted to see was the effect of 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 the long kick out on, on modern football, you know, tactics and, and systems. Like, a, a, the long kick-out yesterday caused huge problems, for actually for both teams, and, and, and goal chances came off both of them by bypassing so many guys by, you know, Niall Morgan launching the ball 60 yards into, into you know, Kavanaugh for breaks or whatever was happening, and, and scores were coming off that, and um, that that made a big difference to that game as well yesterday. But transition transition is all about how how quickly you can turn defence into attack, and and Tyrone were the ones that had the legs that were able to do that much more effectively yesterday. Uh, if you're if you're looking at kind of that say the highlights last night of the of the Tyrone performance, you're seeing points being kicked from all over the shop, and it looks really really impressive, and they are very very comfortable taking shots from outside what you would you know, nominally called the scoring zone, I suppose, the D and inside the 21 or whatever. Uh, and that's obviously quite a high-risk manoeuvre. I mean, it looks brilliant when it when it pays off, but there are going to be days when they're going to hit, you know, 15 or 16 wides if th- those are the shots they're taking on. That would be the only caveat, really, that I would see in the Toronto performance in ways yesterday. That, and I thought yesterday was that day. You know, for the first 15 minutes, I was convinced that Toronto were going to find it really difficult to walk Donegal out. Another real major change from Tyrone yesterday is that there was no nonsense. There was absolutely zero nonsense. In fact, Donegal had situated uh, a gay behind the Tyrone goals, and Mike talks about the kickouts. Obviously, Donegal fancied themselves in the middle of the field for those kickouts, and in actual fact, you know, Tyrone won that that sector easy. But to slow them down, every time uh, Morgan come to take a kickout. They had a guy behind the ball who threw the ball out. I don't know if you if you notice that when you're on TV. He threw the ball out, so the referee would blow the whistle and stop and tell them to get the ball off the pitch. The umpire would amble out at at only umpire umpire pace, umpire yeah, yeah. pace yes, and uh, he'd get the ball back off the field by that stage. And the impressive thing about both teams yesterday was that they both there was no uh, sorting out period like there usually is in Ulster games. Like Monaghan will give you the first maybe ten kickouts of the game. And they'll walk themselves in, the, and then maybe they'll press. Like they'll give Calvin the kickouts for the whole of the thirty-five minutes, uh, first thirty-five minutes, the last day, and then they pushed. Um, the thing about Tyrone yesterday as well is, football's a difficult game. Football is can be a very difficult game at times on, especially if you're playing inside nowadays. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what I've seen from Tyrone players, you know, over the last couple of games is, is a seed change completely from last year. When they scored last year, they had to come out. They had to have a, you know, they had to push the defender. They had to tell the defender, "I'm after kicking a score." Blah, 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 you know, all that sort of stuff. There was none of that yesterday. Uh, Tyrone, Tyrone's matchups. Tyrone, whoever was closest to Murphy at that particular time, picked up Murphy. McC- uh, uh, Colin Kavanagh, Sean Kavanagh. Hampsey, who, who in fairness probably picked him up most because he was a sweeper and he would run out and if he was close to Murphy, he'd pick him up. I didn't, I actually, yesterday, apart from Ray and McHugh, who Sludden did a good job on, 
I don't think uh, Trone targeted any of the any of the uh, Donegal players, unless Mickey Hart was that confident he wasn't that worried about them, or unless or unless this is a change. And there was no nonsense, you know. Every time a Trone player got fouled, didn't matter how bad it was, he just got up and he got on with the game. And they wanted to play. They wanted to play that game at their pace, which was a, which was frenetic. So no you nonsense know? being uh, Ushin. What what has the nonsense been for Trone for those people listening who aren't? Well, I think the hair mushing is a hair mush gate, of course. <laughs> uh, you know, it's sickening <laughs> that we've seen from Tyrone over the years. Well, I think I think just you know getting involved in those variables, as I say, every time you score, you don't have to tell your defender, you know, that you don't have to come out. I mean, save your energy, lad. Just, you know, wait for the next ball to come in and have another pop at it. And maybe if you want to have a chat with him or tell him how good you were, tell him after the game, you know, when the game is over and you've won the game, whatever. So just, they, they, they seem to have, and it, it seems to be a conscious decision that they seem to have got away from that. And, you know, they just played at a frenetic pace yesterday. And the likes of, like that half-back lane, I couldn't believe they didn't play Rory Brennan. Could not believe that they didn't play that they that they went yesterday without Rory Brennan, who I think has been one of the best players. Uh, and they play McCarran, but they play McCarran, you know, inside for the majority of the time with McBrady. Yeah. And then they switch him to Hugh McFadden. And, and as I say, it just seemed to be at times if you're close enough to him, you're comfortable, you pick him up. Yeah, zonal marking effectively. Zonal marking, but do you know, even in zonal marking, like you get somebody who will, as soon as that person crosses the the halfway line or the forty five, whatever it is, your that's your man. You pick mm-hmm. him up. Didn't seem to be any conscious decision to do that. As I say, apart from Ray McHugh, who Sludden continuously blocked his runs. Apart from that, they didn't really, you know, uh, like you'd expect Morphy. Like McCarran did a job on him last year. Um, last year, yeah, McCarran did a job on him last year in the Ulster final. Uh, Justin McMahon was on him two years ago really annoyed him get into his face all that sort of thing they didn't bother on him yeah. do you know what I mean they didn't bother with that and that, that's a that's a major change for a Mickey Hart team Mike how where do you see them in the pecking order now are you giving them a chance see we're at risk of, of doing the chip, typical GA thing where, where we absolutely go ballistic and mm-hmm. blow them up after one big performance and, and then you cut the legs off them again if they play poorly like they're they're the same team that I that I watched in, in Clarny we'll say in the second last league game get absolutely embarrassed by, by, by Kerry and um, they pretty much had the same personnel yesterday although obviously it wasn't championship and it was a different thing and, and at that time I thought I thought they'd struggle to win any game and also they looked so bad and yesterday they looked like people I'm hearing people talking about them maybe maybe beating Dublin and and you know we're getting very high again. Like what they showed yesterday is when they when they play at at pretty much close to 100% yesterday, bar missing a couple of goal chances, they can they're probably capable of beating most teams and and that'll probably include the likes of Kerry or Dublin or Mayo or whoever else is up there. Um, I I still I still think you know it's it's a, such a high wire act you know kicking the kind of scores that Matty Donnelly was kicking and. And Peter Hart, and they're they're kicking from such distance that you know it's like a team in basketball shooting three pointers all the time. You know when they go in, they're absolutely great, but when you start to miss a couple, it becomes really, really you know difficult and deflating. And if you're not getting easier scores, which they could have done yesterday with goals, um, it just becomes a little bit harder. So I think on the day where against a really good team where they, those long range points aren't going over the bar, I think they'll really start to miss their kind of. You know, they're marquee guys, then their own Mulligans and their Peter Canavans and those guys that are able to, to get you scores at a whim. Uh, when you don't have those top-end inside forwards against the better teams, you know, they could, that could be a day when, when they may come a cropper. I think they're going to be very susceptible to a very well-organised um, defensive unit and a more physical a more physical outfit as well. All right, we had Kildare manager Keane O'Neill in studio a few weeks back before the championship. He's pretty bullish, he seemed pretty confident although most of them are in May. <laughs> they backed it up. They certainly look as though they're in shape to back it up at the moment. Were you impressed with them? Yeah, I was impressed with them. Uh, you know, the, the caveat always is, you know, what the opposition is like. And, and me didn't look me didn't look that great the other night. But Kildare did everything that you would expect them to do. And probably, if I'm honest, a little bit more than... Than, than was expected of them. Yeah, uh, I, th- like, I thought that the what you were looking for was one of these teams, you know, in the broader scope of the National Championship, one of these teams to go out and say, we're a good bit better than the other. Let's put it to bed early. And it's a statement of, okay, what do, we, what, what do you need in a team to beat the dubs? And t- try and tick as many of those boxes as you can. I think actually Kildare did, did, did that on Saturday. 
Yeah, I think the last time Kildare and Dublin played, it would be fair to say that Kildare lost out big time in the physical stakes, and they look a little bit better equipped. Although, again, do you know, because when I, you know, because if you don't see me that much, you know, you you hear people chatting and saying, like, you know, ah, big physical mead team. That's not a big physical mead team in any way, shape, or form. And, uh, you know, they brush. They brushed them as Kildare brushed them aside really, really easily. It's again go back to Mike's point. It's really difficult to assess them until they come up against the Dublin. But they certainly look better equipped than they have done over the last number of years to be challenging the likes of a Dublin because they have up, as I say, that that physical stake. Yeah, Mike. I mean, they're well coached. They're very fit. Uh, they're quick. Uh, I thought they were. I thought they looked very good defensively. I mean, I was at the game on Saturday and the. Uh, the way that they snuffed out them... Now, in fairness, Meade played completely into their hands by playing two small inside forwards who couldn't win their own ball uh, and just lurrying 50-yard kick passes into them, just giving them absolutely no chance. But uh, I was really impressed by the man-marking job that the Kildare full-back line did and then the half-back line. I mean, this Owen Doyle, I was really impressed. He's a really, really good yeah. player, the centre-back and captain. I mean, I mean we're, none of us are saying that they're going to beat the dubs, but I, I did think that... Right, okay, if you were drawing up a team that maybe in two or three years' time could challenge uh, the dubs, Kildare are ticking a lot of those boxes. Yeah, and, and like the Leinster Championship needed it really, Murph. You know, I mean, uh, like Andy McEntee, to be fair, came in and he was talking about Meath were going to challenge Dublin, they were going to go win Leinster. And while that hasn't ultimately been the case, it's nice to see somebody with, with the with the gumption or the balls to actually come out and say, well, look, we're not here to go making up numbers and we, and we want to go have a go. And Keon O'Neill is a guy that certainly wouldn't ever be lacking in confidence, I would imagine. And um, to be fair to the guy, he's after delivering in his second year. I mean, he's after bringing on... He, like, they're probably the most improved team in the country uh, up till maybe Tyrone's performance yesterday. But uh, they're, they're after, you know, he's after finding guys that that we hadn't heard of before that are after turning into real good players at this level so far anyway and and physically and and fitness wise he's after bringing on hugely i mean like again yesterday like they're two point two nine i think from play yesterday from their full forward like that's that's yeah. from their full forward line that's good scoring again from from any you know anywhere and the middle of the field feely this feely character looks like a right player and and tommy Moore, like they, they'll put it up to anybody in the middle of the field and while while you're not going to say they're going to beat dublin and and whatever they look like and I might, I might eat these words but they look like they're going to be an awful lot more competitive than we've seen in the Leinster final in the past five years which which can only be good for the Leinster Championship and, and for football in general and yeah. for the dubs yeah completely for the dubs as well but I mean I'm glad you mentioned Feely because he is an unbelievable athlete I think he took four marks clean on Saturday and he has like some of the best hands that you could uh, imagine he's a fantastic fielder. Feely's the player who was overplaying professional yeah, football. In former the UK. professional yeah, footballer, yeah. yeah. And I'm just kind of interested, Mike, that the three guys, funnily enough, who were who have been professional athletes, which is Kevin Feely uh, and then Paddy Brophy and Daniel Flynn, they were all really, really good. I'm just wondering, is there is there, you know is there something that those guys can bring from their experiences in the rather more cutthroat environment of professional sport that you can bring back into a squad? and actually try and harness it for the, the benefit of the entire squad, not just the three guys. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, like, you, you like you take take the likes of, you know, Ty Canelli when he came back in with Kerry and Tommy Welch, just my own personal experience. Well, like, when, when you come from a, a kind of a professional, like you call it, cutthroat environment, where where your preparation of your body is, the mo- is your job and it's the most important thing that you do, those little bits and pieces that you know that they bring to a squad that tends to rub off on everybody and it just raises the standards of everything you do now outside of your play and how, how you're going to play on the field is one thing but what what these guys who come from a professional environment back into an amateur GA environment do is they just they just raise the standards of the preparation as opposed to maybe the performance now the performance may come but but it's the, it's the training stuff and it's the it's the it's that side of the preparation that makes a big difference and and bef- just before I forget it as well because this this mark the mark and you're talking about feeling mm. about he had at least four or five marks from what I was watching the mark is after really incentivizing this this long kick out again lads and it's after it's after bringing a couple of big guys back into the game here with good hands that are that are making a bit of a difference to the game again it's starting to develop and 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 when the mark came in first of all everybody was down it and giving out and saying it was unnecessary to slow down the game and what we're really seeing now a couple of weeks in a couple of months in is it's actually making a really positive change to the game as far as i can tell and 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 it's it's giving guys like like feely like it's actually making now 
go kick out the ball lads, and leave this big guy go 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 pull it out of the sky and it's making it a big part of the game again which is which I think is is great to see. The big boys are back, Oshin. Yeah, the big lads. There's, there's a use for the big lads in the middle of the field now, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but but only uh, only on if 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 a team chooses that. Like it's very easy, even with the mark, if a team chooses, you know, to not want to have that midfield battle. Unless you're crazy, if you're giving up the kickouts, they'll kick it short. So if somebody doesn't fancy that midfield battle, they just retreat in the middle of the field, give you the ball and. You know, so that's. I suppose that's the only yeah, negative. Yeah, it, 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 it takes two. It takes both parties to want to commit to the midfield battle. Yeah, or at least it. Uh, it, it, you can nullify it from your point of. Yeah. You know, you, like if if you if you think midfield's a problem, you can nullify it pretty much immediately. Obviously, but if you think it's a weapon, you can use it. Absolutely. So it, yeah, I mean, it, and then and then the marriage made in heaven is if both teams. Are, pre- are pressing, yeah. are pressing, and they fancied it. Like Donegal fancied it yesterday. Mm-hmm. They fancied themselves in the middle of the field, but it just worked out. You know, and Mickey Hart obviously fancied it, but it worked out. You know, in Throne's favour, and that's just the way the cards are dealt. Sometimes. Assuming Dublin get through, are you giving Kildare a chance there? Oh my God, oh, I can't believe you asked me for another prediction. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to give you a chance to redeem yourself. I, I just think they'd be a lot more competitive than than they were, but I think you know the, the Dubs. You know, when the Dubs. When that kicks in with the dubs getting in the park, I think you know they're they're a different animal. But I definitely think Kildare will be a lot more competitive and and will cause the team a couple of teams in this in this competition a lot of hurt. But they won't be the dubs. Okay, excellent stuff. Oshie, thank you. Mike, thanks a lot. Okay. He's just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player, a baby. Coach. And we never said they are baby. He's just a crying big baby. And you cannot call him a player a baby. Murphy, you were in Thurlis yesterday? I was. Hitch invasions are alive and well in the Hurling Championship this year. The Cork fans timed it impeccably yesterday. Oh, full on 1980s. <laughs> it was yeah. amazing. Don't even wait for their final whistle to go. Just yeah. get on there. I mean, I was, I was actually looking at the referee. And I'm not entirely sure that he was going to blow at the moment <laughs> that he blew. But I mean, I think it was all... It was all epidemic at that stage, uh, Owen, as, as they say. As they say indeed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, honestly, one of those the, like cliche-ridden trips to Thurlis that I've ever had, and visits to Thurlis generally. I mean, as I was walking to the ground, you could literally see the tar melting on the road. <laughs> uh, everything, all of the bullshit you've heard about the Munster Hurling Challenge, all very much... Fans mingling. Present and correct. Yeah, uh, Cork bringing great colour and excitement. Uh, Great numbers <laughs> too. They, they oh, seem yeah. to. Anthony like, Nash said he noticed straight away that they walked out and he's like, "Hang, there's two or three times the amount of yeah. Cork fans here as Waterford." Yeah, it was. Uh, and I have to say, right, that I mean that all of that uh, bullshit, as I've called it, I mean that exists in the Irish sporting consciousness for a reason, and that's because it is kind of true, hmm. uh, which people may not like to hear a whole lot of, but I mean it is. There, it's an ah, unbelievable. No, you, you don't have to be too. Yeah, yeah you know. There's, there's romance alive and well in the hearts of Irish sports fans too. We like to hear fans going down having a good time. Yeah, and I do think as well, like there was just something about it. I mean, the weather obviously uh, added probably five or 6,000 to the crowd and hugely to the atmosphere in the game. But the noise was so great. I was in the Ordon Arena, which is the stand that's on camera, not the stand that's, that the camera is shooting from on television. And uh, at, during the pre-match parade, the noise was so loud that I couldn't hear the bagpipes in the parade. I couldn't hear anything except just the drum beat. <laughs> so it was like this really gladiatorial atmosphere. And you know, like the gladiatorial thing, now that's overplayed as well. But I have to say that the, all you hear is just dunk, dunk, dunk. And like the two teams walking around in front of it. And it just was the most unbelievable uh, spectacle. And it's just kind of a pity, actually, that Waterford didn't show up. But watching Cork in the flesh... 
I mean, it's pretty obvious on obvious on television, but the pace that these guys have is crazy. They're so like that's the main weapon, is it? Just yeah, a few and, flyers there, and uh, they're. I mean, I would have them like right up there. They're all Ireland contenders now, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, the Tipperary game is kind of it was so easy to write it off as a once off, and it, like every single preview was the exact same. Waterford will win this because they have to win it. There will be a dip in Cork. You know, it's it's only natural that that's how it's going to be. But I kind of don't see this Cork team. They're enjoying themselves so much at the moment that they could just ride this wave all the way to September. The way well, they nearly did a few years ago. Yeah, uh, I just. But like their touch was just so good, so much better than Waterford's, uh, than than Waterford's throughout the game and from the first five minutes. Uh, yeah, Corker, the real deal. It's Lions time. Shane Horgan, how you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Where do you stand, first of all, on the call-ups of all these random Welshmen to the tour party? Does it devalue the Lions jersey, as some, some people have suggested? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, uh, I really don't like it at all. Um, I understand um, the reasoning behind needing a extended squad and uh, keeping your players rested and having the team in the exact right position to perform best at the test. And the tests are the only thing that matter on this tour. But that could have all been achieved by bringing players out earlier in the uh, piece, uh, along with the you know the rest of the, the, the formal party, or um, teeing up the next best players to come in wherever they are in the world um, and um, fulfill the role. So I think it... It's um, ill-conceived. I think it does de- devalue uh, the Lions jersey. I think it's. I just think it's wrong on so many levels, and um, I'm disappointed that Gallon's chosen to do it. Well, I guess the thinking is that he could have gone for the Clive Woodward size party to begin with, but then you've got the difficulty of managing a lot of players at the same time. Some of whom probably won't be getting any game time, uh, and the situation being as it was. I mean, he. Did, I suppose if you. You have to see where the injuries are and where you need cover before you start calling people in. So the notice that they did that the players had to get over there would have been too short, surely. No matter even if players in Argentina or players on the on the Irish tour in Japan were told in advance they might have to break off from that, you're still not going to be able to fill a bench spot after travelling 24 hours with with you know just a few hours to go before kickoff. No. Well, you could have. You, uh, Gallon, this was always in his mind to do this. He was always going to, even prior to this, the tour, this was his plan to bring players in. Um, so if that was the plan, he could have put players on notice. He could have put any amount of players on notice. And he could have, um, they could have not played for their uh, respective countries in preparation for that. They could have gone out a little bit earlier. And, you know, is it, a, is it the best people from the Northern Hemisphere? Is it the best people from. Um, you know, England, Ireland, uh, Scotland, and Wales, or is it something else? Um, it, I, I do think it's 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 a really poor idea. Um, I don't know how the players that are you know, would have been next in line are feeling about it. They should feel bad. And you know, I, I, as I say, I I think the the point of of doing everything you can to perform as well as you can. Um, for the first test is the only thing that matters, and that is that I, I didn't mind if they lose every game up until um, the, the first test and whatever they have to do to get the preparation right. But this is a poor idea, and it could have been achieved quite easily uh, with a little bit more forethought um, and and a little bit more planning instead of you know bringing out a group of guys who you know in effect haven't you know don't deserve to to get their position um, as a lion. Um, and um, you know what will the benefits be? How will it feel in camp? And and will there be any you know no fallout from this? You know there may not be if um, if there's a successful tour win, but I think if uh, if there isn't, then um, there there'll be um, reasonably large repercussions. Even if players have been put on notice, though, is they're they're still going to be arriving over if they've been put on notice, but still only called up say after the Maori game at the weekend. That still doesn't solve the issue of how they're going to be able to bed into uh, a squad with almost no preparation time, and given the jet lag and everything else that goes with that. Sure, how are these lads going to be, you know, um, bedding into a squad? You mm. know, what's the difference? They come from like slightly um, closer, or not quite as far away, but they're not going to be bed into the squad, and all of a sudden it's going to be perfect. What you're in effect doing is bringing a load of players. To you know, you're not expecting them to perform at any at the highest possible level. You're not expecting them to um, contribute in the same way as you would um, a normal Lions player. So 
you have the same issue, but with just least, less good players who are a little bit closer to where the tour is. It's, for me, it's a nonsense. It's a nonsense. How damaging do you think it is then? It sounds like you're quite annoyed about it. Like, is this the kind of thing that can, depending on how the results go and all the rest of it, this is another thing that's going to be thrown at Gatland. Is it potentially yeah, it, da- it, quite damaging long term? I don't know how damaging it is long term. Like if you, link, you lose a series, that's the most damaging thing long term. It'll just be another thing. Yeah. It'll be another. Um, it'll be another um, a stick to beat them with. But if they don't win, if they do win, it'll, it, I don't know. I still don't know if it'll seem like a good idea in, in retrospect. Um, you know, the idea of, of managing a bigger tour party—that's part of what you know what you, you what the lines is about. And I think there's. There's actually maybe something you know wider, more fundamental to be addressed here about the Lions and the way the Lions prepare and the the, the way um, the series is is conceived. So at the moment, the whole thing about Lions and it was one of the issues about 2005 was you know everybody goes on the plane and you know everybody should have the same chance of making the Lions team once they're on the plane and that's not true. That's you know I I don't think that's the case. There is a pecking order. Um, that exists because of the way you've played up to that that uh, point. So I think, you know, the idea of maybe picking what you think is your strongest um, Lions team and then having a second team, as was the case in 2005, but making this very clear that this is the way it's gone because you've been picked on your performances, you know, not for the Lions. You've been picked on your performances like you would for playing for, for Leinster and then you come into a Six Nations. Then a, a team is picked or... After a World Cup, you know, very often you have a, a, a fresh uh, group coming in. How do the provinces, uh, how have you been playing the provinces? How have you been playing your national team? Then, as a consequence of that, if you had to play a test team, uh, you know, a test series and uh, the test game number one uh, in the morning, who, what team do you pick? And then you have a, a procession of games where players are putting up their hand and trying to for, force their way into what uh, will be the first team. I think that may be a better way for the Lions uh, to progress because, um, you know, it does give players time to, to work together. And if something isn't working, then you can make the change and you make it, but you make it in a piecemeal fashion. Um, the idea that we've got four games to um, make sure everybody plays and feels comfortable about, you know, getting the best opportunity they can and then, um, you know, having, putting a team together for the first test that in effect has had very little game time together, um, I think there's a difficulty with that. It was interesting, Shane, that Steve Hansen was the one who broke the news that there were some reinforcements on the way for the Lions. He, he seems to be enjoying needling Gatland so far at the press conferences. Has he been winning this media battle? Oh, I don't know. It's kind of... <laughs> it's, you you, know, it's you don't know and you don't care, I would say. Yeah, you know what I mean. They're, like, they're not two guys who've, who've massive personalities and they just seem to be sort of, <laughs> you know they, they seem to be at each other just picking a little bit and it's almost for the sake of it I, yeah. I don't really know the end game here or, or what what they're thinking how it benefits it just um, you know how it benefits their team you know Gatlin was messaging quite strongly uh, over the last couple of days about the about blockers that's kind of something that I can see you know I can see that maybe the sense behind that trying to put it in the in a referee's mind trying to bring it to the attention of the, of the cameras as well and say listen this is something that I do the danger is that it, uh, that the lions will be trying certainly trying to do it as well um, because it's probably one of the only ways that you can um, gain an advantage in a very very close game so um, you know some of it is probably more relevant than others but there's also just been a a, a, a sort of a, a, a battle going on between the two of them that's that seems kind of you know you know what's the point lads <laughs> yeah I mean I can kind of understand where Gatlin might be coming from because he seems to be under attack and I suppose he's coming back to his homeland trying to prove himself whereas Steve Hansen is in charge of this incredibly successful team his record his CV with New Zealand is untouchable there's no real I, I mean he doesn't have to defend himself in any way and yet he seems to be going on the attack against Gatland. And Gatland made the point after the Maori game. I suppose Gatland was in a strong position because he just won a game by a few points for the first time. But he said, I'm surprised by Steve Hansen, who's normally pretty calm. He's been doing a lot of press conferences. And I only can take that as a sign of respect in that he's a little bit worried. I know Gatland talks a lot of nonsense before games, but he, might he actually be touching on something here that New Zealand do feel a little bit threatened, that maybe they have seen something in the Lions? Because I don't see any other motivation for Steve Hansen to talk rubbish. Yeah, I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think they're quaking in their boots about the Lions, and I don't think that even if they were 
the kind of stuff that Steve Hansen is coming out with, is that going to you know destabilize the camp in any way? I'm not sure. I think I think there may be an element of just boredom in this, you know, and, <laughs> and you know being in press conferences, and it's a big news story. Remember, like there's a lot of media down there. There's a huge amount of interest from New Zealand media. They're almost forced into a position where they have to say something because. There, you know, there's a new cycle that has to be fulfilled, and you know, I think that's part of what Hansen is doing. And maybe he's like, as I said, maybe there's an element of boredom in it. Maybe there's a bit of mischief in it, and and um, he's um, he's sort of keeping himself interested by having a little poke and seeing how Gatlin will re- will react. Um, I think I think generally it's you know the I think he, when you when you hear you know Eddie Jones, um, you know when he speaks, and I think. Um, you know, sometimes again, he's capable of, of um, you know, it's just speaking for the for the sake of it. But like, there's, there tends to be a bit more wit or charm or yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think he's sort of more quotable, and he's half its tongue in cheek. Enjoys and, and it. I don't know. Yeah. Pardon me. He enjoys it. Yeah, he does enjoy it, and it's a bit of a, a bit of a game. And I don't think uh, either of these guys do it with the same wit as as Eddie Jones does. What about matters on the pitch? Were you encouraged by the big win on on Saturday? Uh, yeah, I certainly was. I, was, I uh, I've been more encouraged. I think it was really important that they get the win, um, and you know it was a very dominant performance, um, which is good. It's and, and very positive going into the first test, almost essential. So what we've had is now two um, Saturday games that have really you know have have shaped um, or are, are shaping the the first test team. I think there's. Uh, the contenders have major contenders have, have uh, solidified their position. I think it's looking very much like we'll have an idea what the team is. The core decision that couldn't be um, analysed over the weekend, though, is the one for me that's the most important, and that is um, um, does Owen Farrell play at ten or at twelve? Because I I'm convinced Gatland is going to pick him. But um, I'm not sure if he's going to pick him in the 12 position. Um, if they do, I would have loved to see them have a little bit more time. And you know, to go, move back to the point that I had, uh, I made earlier on, um, that kind of partnership is something that would have been, you know, um, developed and and would have blossomed if you had you know had those guys playing three games in the trot together. What do, we were speaking to Luke Fitzgerald about this last week, and he made the point that. There's a lot of players who, if you put them through a gap, they look good. Um, but there's very few players who put others through a gap. And he said to have two in the back line, you can do it. Farrell and Sexton are the two best at it, probably in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, so play both of them. And, and then maybe T.O. at outside centre. Yeah, no, I, I, heard, uh, I heard Luke. And I, I, I know Luke really rates um, um, Ben in defence. I still think that he, get, he squares up at the end of the line. Uh, especially when he's defending a 13 and he can take a shooter um, uh, against really good opposition, I think that uh, he can sometimes just mistime his re- his um, his reads, and that can that that can uh, cause uh, that can cause you issues. Um, I also think at that, at that 13 channel, it can be useful as well to have another passer in that uh, in that position, and I think um, Jonathan Davies' hands are just slightly better than. Then, then Ben's now. You know, I could see a position later on in the game when you have uh, Teo coming on and being very explosive and as a broken field runner and, and getting offloads away. But I do think, as Norman, Northern Hemisphere uh, teams, we're not uh, as au fait with um, you know taking our, our running lines off the uh, a bust or a half a bust and an offload. I think that was a problem with Leinster as well. Uh, very often when, when Ben was playing for Leinster, he was getting arms free very often and looking for the offload and there was n- no trail runner or, or very often the trail runner didn't have uh, the correct line to take advantage of it. But to get back to the, the two guys at 10 and 12, um, they are um, players who will hold the inside and hold the space inside, uh, which is incredibly important. And, you know, I think being able to throw a pass from 12, um, you know, just a simple nine to 10 to 12 and then 12 make a decision on what read the defense is making um it just opens your playbook uh, so much and and being having to you know being able to hold the inside and uh, put a you know put players into a little bit of space even if it's you know even if it's um forces um the all blacks into a drift defense um or to be a little bit softer i think it makes a huge difference and um the other thing that struck me 
talking about watching them from the week before, it was the level of communication. The back line went absolutely through the roof. And there is nothing more important in rugby than communication. And Especially with the Lions then, when it's new, new then, combos. Yeah. Exactly. Double down for the Lions because... Um, you know, players who aren't used to playing uh, to each other with each other, um, their tendency is to communicate even less. And um, having that talk, having that uh, talk, not just between themselves, but a further reorganisation of what's going on on the outside channel, whether it be um, uh, Sexton uh, further out or as a second receiver or or Farrell's second receiver, you could see again that communication upped in a huge way and. For me, I just think that's key. I just think that is key um, to, 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 to the Lions having success. Sure, I don't know what you've made of it so far, but I've been really surprised, first of all, how well the, the Lions pack have played and that they're arguably going to be better than New Zealand's man for man and even as a combination. But then also just how bad the Lions back three players have been throughout it. Um, it looks like Lee Happney will play if he comes through the return to play protocols, but he offers pretty much nothing in attack at the moment. Um, all the wingers seem to be out of form. Anthony Watson, I suppose you could say, is playing to par, but not above himself. But the rest of them, like George North, isn't doing much. Is there a game plan? I'm sure Gatland's been aware of the lack of form. Is there a game plan there that he can keep them as less of a factor? And New Zealand's amazing back three is less of a factor. Uh, well, you know, you know, and this may be a, a factor on on uh, Gatland's um, decision making when it comes to selection as well. He he, he may think. Well, what do we need two uh, real ball players at uh, ten and twelve for if um, we don't have any any cutting edge out wide? And um, mm. but I do think that I do think that they have cutting edge out wide. I, I, I agree with you. I don't think Halfpenny has has played um, well. I think the idea of uh, Hog uh, his injury has sort of thrown the uh, cat amongst the pigeons a bit as well because. I think we would have seen Liam um, Liam Williams at, uh, have a bit more time at fullback if um, Hog was um, uh, if if Hog had been hadn't been on tour um, because I think he he sort of had him penciled in as fullback um, and now you're in a position really where he doesn't really have much uh, option to other than to pick um, Halfpenny who, who hasn't been on form particularly well in this tour I think he's been sort of you know he's actually played a bit better in this tour than tour than maybe he has done all season but that's sort of um, um, damning him with fade praise because of how poor his um, mm. season was up to this point. But I think um, if you have you know if you have a ten and twelve that are holding the inside, I still think George North can do damage. I think Liam Williams is a really really good player. I think Watson has shown a bit um, of um, electricity on, uh, and elusiveness on this tour, and so I don't think these are. I think these are still good players. I don't think they're as good as the um, New Zealand back three, but that doesn't mean that we should. Um, you know, not have the option of getting the ball out wide to them. And remember, if you know, if we do move some ball to the outside channel, and we we sort of make New Zealand think that that's a live option, that that has to that has to exist. Otherwise, the job that we're trying to do up front just becomes too difficult. And even if he does go with uh, Ben Teo, he will want um, New Zealand to think that there are live options. Um, on the on the edges because again they'll just condense and their line speed will up and it will become more difficult and no matter how strong a ball carry you are, um, New Zealand are very effective tacklers and that's what they'll do if they know you're not going to do anything else and you don't pose any other threat. But to the point about how um, the the uh, Lions uh, forwards have gone, I think that has been um, really encouraging because if we are going to be New Zealand. There's a couple of you know pillars that have to exist, and you know they are a, a very strong line out, a very strong scrum, and you know a couple of, a couple of exceptions, a couple of bad performances generally, and and with what we think is going to be the first team, they've been very impressive. But they've also a couple of our key carriers have come through as well, and and Sean O'Brien. It uh, looks in pretty devastating form. Peter O'Mahony has shown with the Lions what we've seen uh, with Ireland for, for a long time, how destructive he can be, um, how incredibly physical he can be, and 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 how he can turn ball over at key points uh, in the game. So, um, you know, there are pluses, certainly. Absolutely, yeah. Tyke Furlong, another one there. He's been uh, rocking the scrum, Shane, and we will see you next on Whitty Island for the first test on Saturday. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. I just hope that... Uh, Neither Kieran nor Ken are going down because all they're bagging up the lines. I don't want them jumping the bandwagon now when you hear they have a trip down to Whitty Island. What, what, what are you talking about, Shane? I, I, don't worry, I'm here. I'm listening to this. 
you, you should be apologizing. You should be apologizing, <laughs> groveling about, oh, the Lions, and what is this? Oh, I'm not sure about the Lions. And, Listen, as soon as there's a sniff of a trip down to Whitty Island, <laughs> bags packed, ready to go. Listen, what can I say? I'm an event junkie, okay? That's just who I am. <laughs> Thanks, Shane. See you on Saturday. Thanks, Emil, guys. Hell of a tournament so far. Listen, Luke Jensen, ESPN. Great to talk to you. Glad you're enjoying it. Own, you're amazing. <laughs> Own, you're amazing. Own, you're amazing. Own, you're amazing. Own, you're amazing. Own, McDevitt. All up in the interweb. Own, McDevitt. Worldwide. The Murphy Mackie for most welcome Irishman of the year goes to Owen McDevitt. Owen, 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 Owen McDevitt from Ireland's second captain show. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt worldwide. Second captains. Those guys are like, those guys are like family to me, man. Owen McDevitt. This is Locke. The coolest song I ever heard in my whole life. Owen McDevitt. All of you said I wouldn't make Stop it. Stop talking about Tom Finney. He said I was a loser. This guy is a bit of a turkey. <laughs> All right. He said I was a Soccer. Oh, you're amazing. But look at me now. All up in the interweb. Oh, and McDevitt. Worldwide. The new World Federated Championship. Oh, McDevitt. Oh, and McDevitt. Oh, you're amazing. Oh, you're amazing. To say, for example, the Barcelona team you worked at, is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Whoa, you were called out there, Murphy. I, 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 to be honest, I think that was a disgusting uh, attack, uh, vicious, scathing verbal broadside there by Shane. I don't, I, I mean, I don't see, you know, what benefit he could possibly think could accrue from impugning myself and Ken like that. I mean, I'm sorry if, if, if my honesty is is just too much for you, Shane. You know, he uh, says all this now after Shane well, is off the. Well, I mean, he listens. We, we, he, I'm sure he, he does listen, Murph, and he understands. He does listen, and he knows the kind of impact that your words can have on our listeners from time to time, such as this scumbag. I've got a call here. That says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God, that's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. David versus Goliath is the subject title from Paul O'Driscoll, who describes himself as a first-time emailer, long-time scumbag. I listened with interest to your discussion on the recently confirmed McGregor versus Mayweather fight and the comparisons to Brian Habana versus a cheetah, Jesse Owens versus a horse, etc. However, the most fitting recent example of an overhyped sporting event organised almost exclusively for its commercial merit where every serious pundit can only conceive of one possible result is surely the Lions versus the Kiwis. Only perhaps an encounter between an actual lion and an actual Kiwi, hairy fruit or flightless bird, it's immaterial for the purposes of this analogy, could have a more certain outcome. The only difference between the boxing and the rugby is that in the boxing freak show, the people putting their bodies on the line are the same people that negotiated the insanity of the event, and they're also the ones that will be getting the vast majority of the money the event will generate. For perspective... And Paul goes on to tell us that he has odds of the Lions winning the Test Series at 6-1, to one, odds of McGregor beating Mayweather 5-1. to one. Did you see the latest freak show, by the way? No, go on. Michael Phelps is going to oh, a great yes. white shark. Uh, our, our beloved listeners were not slow in tweeting that link, actually. I just, mm. I just for, had forgotten the, uh, the possible connection there. Who are you backing on that one? Oh, it's, it's, for me, it's got to be the shark. It's got to be the shark. <laughs> Sorry, what's the distance again? Uh, there's not much detail come out yet. It's part of Discovery's okay. Shark Week or something like this. Okay. There are fears that maybe it will be stage managed within an inch of, inch of its life, this particular production. You think? Yeah, it mightn't be, it mightn't be the purest Shark v Olympic champion swimmer event that you've ever seen, Murph. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 well, I foresee it in two lanes. Mm-hmm. You know, like really maybe, disciplined maybe, swimming by the shark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, he, if obviously <laughs> if one fin goes over <laughs> over the line, there, that's him disqualified. Well, you're going to get the best out of Phelps if there is potentially a shark attack at the end of it if he slows down. I would say that there's 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 probably not a better motivation in world sport than you know the possibility of getting eaten by a shark. That's that's probably the sort of thing the the sort of hunger that our GA analysts love to talk about. I mean, is there a hunger that could match the hunger of not getting eaten by a great white shark? I, I don't think so. Just a quick reminder, no football podcast today, no Monday podcast, but for you World Service members, you beautiful, beautiful people out there, you will have a very special football players chair this week with Richie Sadler, who is speaking to James McLean. That's going to be amazing. We're looking forward to that one. Loads of other great stuff coming up over the next few days. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thanks very much, Thank Simon. you, Owen. Thank, Thank you, Simon. You. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 
the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.